ladies and gentlemen, are you sick of hearing about sledging, flying under the radar and just taking it one week at a time? Well, you've come to the right place. The Gumshoe Sports Report is here to cut through the rubbish and give you unfiltered hard facts. Failing that, you can listen to two blokes with faces absolutely fit for radio as they give you their own sizzling hot take on everything sport. And to kick things off, here's your host, Marcus Wilson. Thank you, Bianca. Well, it's been another big week in sports, so let's get things started. G'day, Chris. Hi, Marcus. Hi, listeners. Now, Chris, I say it every week that it's a big week in sport, but this week, a bumper week and a bumper show coming up because we've got so much to cover. Oh, my God. My eyeballs are so sore. <laughs> my Foxtel, I put on uh, Facebook last night. I tried to melt my Foxtel remote control last night. So much on. I can't wait to, to kick things off, so let's go. Now, I've been in your lounge room. You've only got one TV, but from the Gumshoe Sports Report social media account, looks like you've been watching about 10 different things at once. I did. I was trying to watch three things last night, and it wasn't really working, but I ended up sort of half-watching two of them. But, yeah, we'll get into that later. Yeah, let's kick off with AFL. The season is over, and the West Coast Eagles are premiers. What a grand final. That was a belter. Mm. Um, it was two teams that I'd, I'm not really that fussed regardless of who won. but um, And in the first quarter, I thought, oh, yeah, this is a cakewalk for good old Collingwood. Um, but no, the West Coast came back and just sort of did enough to hang in there. I, I didn't... This, uh, we sort of spoke about this before. Mm. I thought Collingwood were the better side yeah. of the day, but you seem to sort of have a slightly different opinion to that. Well, I think we were similar in that, you know, obviously Collingwood got off to the dream start. The Eagles wore their way into the contest, sort of got their hands on the ball more and, and some of the young, uh, smaller blokes like Rioli and uh, Ryan, Ryan really got into it. That first goal, that, I mean, this is probably where I was thinking, is that first goal that the ball bounces basically into his shin over the line yeah. rather than him actually kicking it. Like if that if that goes through for a point, mm. it could have been 10 goals to mm. nothing at half time. Like It was that kind of fluke that, that got things started for mm. West Coast and then they sort of... Just was they just slowly ground down that lead the whole game. Yeah, for me, I reckon after that, I must admit I missed the first fifteen minutes. So I walk in and it's five goals to zero. Oh, so crazy. They're kicking them from everywhere. Uh, but they they got themselves into the contest. The Magpies kicked the first two goals of the fourth quarter, like within a minute. I yeah, think it was. And then Eagles bounced back as well. After that point, though, I thought the Eagles had four or five really gettable shots, and I thought, oh, they're they're leaving They're the door open. Here. And when Darling dropped the ball <sighs> once they were leading, it was just... Darling just doing a, things that a, only Darling can do in a grand yeah, final. Just a gripping contest. Uh, and well done to the Eagles. So uh, we, we both probably felt like they were, you know, hometown heroes and still a question mark over the quality over the journey. But, hey, they're flag winners. Yep, exactly right. And uh, can't argue with that. In, mm. Six months' time, no one's going to remember any of that. It's just going to be they won the flag. So, I mean, if Collingwood... Uh, I mean, no one wants to lose a grand final, but Collingwood can definitely keep their you know head up high. I, I thought yeah, it was an like, amazing contest, and someone has to lose, and they lost. But yeah. they, nothing disgraceful. They won't go back and go, oh, this... You know, we need to review the whole thing. It was just a game that could have gone either way. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I don't want to poo-poo the umpires, but... If that's not a block um, for the sheed mark where he kicks, like, the best set shot you've ever seen. And I don't want to take anything away from that shot. That was amazing. Mm. But if that's not a block, I don't know what a block is because you can't 
turn your back on the ball and just run with your hands out, holding on to someone. So it happened a few times during the course of the game. I didn't think the umpires were that great, to be honest. I enjoyed the fact they let the play go, but there are a couple of just inconsistent, like dropping the ball type things, and there are a couple where they they seem to get kicks away and they still ping them for holding the ball. And I don't know. It was just what I noticed in the first half. I'm like, wow. I thought West Coast got a bit of a run with the with the. I know Collingwood were in front of the free kick count. I just thought that West Coast got. If there was a fifty fifty, it went West Coast way. And then I got on social media afterwards just to see sort of what the reaction was from everyone. And those who basically hate Collingwood were just having a field day. Um, and then a lot of people were sort of saying that Collingwood got a, a run with the ump. So. Um, so perspective. It was exactly right. So that and that was a lot of West Coast fans saying, "Oh, we we beat the Umps and the and the Vic." So um, good on them. I heard an interview with Josh Kennedy about the Sheed goal, and he was like, "At the time, I was thinking, why aren't you bringing it around and snapping it?" So the drop pun is not dead from the set shot, is it? There's no. still room for it if you're a sharpshooter. Well, and. For him, it would have been a banana kick. Like, he mm. would have been kicking, if he ran out, it's kicking on his non-preferred foot, which I would think, like, it was a long way out. It's not like he was right up against mm. the point post. It was just, it was a ridiculously sharp angle. But um, if you're still kicking sort of 25, 30 metres with bend, um, yeah, kind Margin of good. Vera. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, I would have thought on your non-preferred is pretty high. But kicking a drop punt on your right foot when there's like a, B's pain of gap in between the goals, <laughs> goal post is uh, pretty gutsy as well. And he it didn't never look like missing. It was just gun barrel straight. It was such an amazing kick. If anyone hasn't seen it, if you were living under a rock this week, um, go back and check it out. There was It was, yeah, pretty darned good. Now, some would argue that uh, the real excitement of the footy season begins now. What do you reckon? It's silly season. Like, <laughs> I, I, I do like this part of it, but I... I get sucked in every year by believing every rumour that I hear mm. and then it turns out that none of these things end up being <laughs> even remotely close. So um, I do like it, but there, I won't lie, there has been times where, and my previous uh, employer will will admit to this as well, that I have been guilty of just basically sitting on the trade tracker um, thing just pressing refresh every like 30 seconds going what's new what's new what's new so um, I do love listening out for the rumours but I think in my older age I've learned to maybe <laughs> just hold fire until some paperwork gets I'm glad signed. you say that because uh, working in a newsroom I am guilty of pretty much jumping on every rumour and uh, you really got to find it a couple of sources or make sure you're saying it's speculation because one minute it's one thing, the next minute it's all just garbage. But that's exactly what the AFL want. Trade radio has become a massive, massive uh, juggernaut in recent years because people just want to hear about player movement and they don't care if it's just speculation. From day to day, it's fun. Well, and I noticed that Fox Footy have got a couple of days of... Uh or well, they've got, a, I think, an hour show every night between mm. now and the draft with the trade talk. So there's obviously um, people are interested in it. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I've, I've learned to taper my enthusiasm just to wait to see 
signature sign before I get too carried away. Now, while there is wild speculation, we have, before the show, gone through a list of players that are probably 90% sure they'll be at a different club next year. Yeah, these are, once again, wildly speculative, mm. um, but these are the, the probably the big names. There's, there's probably more to come, um, but these are sort of the main half a dozen or so that, that we thought. And they've all pretty much signalled, or I would say 80% of them have signalled I'm leaving the club I'm at. So they are going. It's just where they're going. All right. Let's start from a local front and on one of the, um, uh, the actually, one of the premiers now, uh, Scott Lysett. Mm. Talk is he wants to come to Port. Um, grew up barracking for Port, um, obviously South Australian. Mm. Um, the rumours came out a couple of weeks ago that he's that's basically that deal is done and that's where he wants to go. I kind of thought that it was very odd that it that he the story didn't come from him, but it made it the insinuated that he has said, "Yep, yeah, I'm doing this." It seems odd that you would do that mm. with a couple of weeks left in your season. So this one, I'm not, I'm not 100 sold on. But what what are you thinking? Well, he, I think he's definitely going. There was a report today that he's he's asked the media to be patient with his plans for the future, which basically which means he's sobering up still. He's, <laughs> he wants to not slur his words when he announces where he's going. I love you, Port Adelaide. I oh, this and, this and is just this is just backtracking on what we've just said, but there just seems to be too many reports from different sources that yep. suggest that Port is is his destination. Four-year deal has been bandied about. And I guess there's that... It's a lot for a backup ruckman. Yeah. And and where's he going to play? Mm. Like, are you... If you look at it from Port's perspective, is he going to be the number one ruckman so that Paddy can go forward and Paddy then becomes a backup ruckman? Or is he going to be the forward so that Paddy gets a decent chop out rather than having to use your... Your bits and pieces sort of players to like Westoffs and Dixons and things like that. As much as the power value Paddy Ryder and and love him and think he's the best ruckman in the world, I think they've been burnt too many times. And I reckon in a review they would have said, "That's the line in the sand. We can't have another season where we're hinging our hopes on Paddy Ryder being our ruckman." So I, I would say that they would say to Scott Lysett, "You will be the main man, or at least you know fifty fifty because you, you just can't have Ryder dropping in and out. And his body at this stage is failing him. And if he's got an Achilles, that's not something that will just disappear completely. They, they, had, to, they, had, to, they had to nurse him through the whole season. The whole season just... It sounded like he, he had to go through you know amazing stuff just to get to each game. And it's maybe it's time to say, look, we think you're the best Ruckman, but you've got to share this otherwise... Yeah, your body can't. Yeah, and we can't, can't rely on you because once you're out, we're, we're out, sort of thing. And so then, Lysette then becomes, he's not your best ruckman, he's not your best backup forward, mm. but he becomes your only option. Mm. And is that does that then become Port's best option? Is to get a guy who's second behind Nat Nui already, and he's probably only playing because Nat Nui's injured, and then you're going to throw a whole bunch of cash at and. Potentially, you, I would think that you're going to have to pay overs draft wise, mm. draft picks wise as well to get him out. So you're paying overs to get. Uh, I don't want to say second rate. Second rate is probably harsh on where he's mm. at, but he's not your number one ruckman. 
he's, so he, he'll, only, yeah. he'll only be your number one ruckman because your number one ruckman can't handle the the load. Mm. So, um, well, what are your choices though? What what uh, there aren't number one ruckman's moving around willy nilly. So mm. I guess you've got to go the next best. And he's now a premiership ruckman. It was funny. I I do a bit of tweeting, and normally I get no response from my followers. <laughs> but had a little sledge about. Lysette coming to port as a... <laughs> I did say that. A couple of instant after, after he missed a uh, 25-metre set shot in the grand final. But um, Yeah, no. Your listeners are... That did show that you, your followers are listening to you. Pretty much every time I'm a little B, people respond. So, yeah. Uh, tell us about some of the other blokes that we think are going elsewhere and close to stitching up a... Uh, a trade or an agreement to, to go to a different club. All right. Well, the main one, the one that probably sounds the most over the line is Hanbury, uh, Dan Hanbury from Sydney to the Saints. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he's written a letter that I think the club put on their website sort of saying that he wants to go home and um, rah, 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 and the Swans sort of sounded like they were they were happy to sort of let him go. Um, Saints, this one's a bit dicey for the Saints, I reckon. Two years ago, Hanbury was a gun. Mm. His body's not coat well, so the Saints are putting a lot of cash because um, I think it's a five-year deal they're offering him, which is a lot for a guy that's not his body's not right. So you'd want to be confident that you're getting what you're paying for with him. But if they get ninety percent of what what he's dished up two years ago, then um, that'd be good. And that that's the kind of player I think the Saints need. Um, just a real grunter that can sort of get the job done. That, and they need forwards that can kick straight. So um, the other ones, Lynch, sound like uh, Tom Lynch from Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. Relax, Crows fans. <laughs> um, sounds like he's sort of done and dusted with, with Richmond. Mm. I'm still not entirely sure how they've got room in the salary cap with Dusty, Cochin, um, Rance, uh, Rewalt. In the team, they must have some work experience kids at the bottom end that they're paying a chocolate donut and a can of Coke to. So, um, but every year we see a near grand finalist seeming to pick up a, a stud. So, uh, good luck to them. Um, Gaff to North. Yeah, now there were reports on the AFL website and it almost sounded like a woman's weekly article where it's, <laughs> You know, a source has told another source, but uh, Jared Pollock had told former Port teammates or something along those lines that he was, you know, really confident that Andrew Gaff was going to join him at North Melbourne. So, okay, that, so that, we're we're locking in Pollock's definitely going to North Melbourne. Well, judging, yeah, I mean that by that. I mean yeah. I, that sounded like it was. That seems to be the the other one with Hanbury that just seems to be. Uh, I mean, mission, that, mission that's what I don't understand over this year, maybe a little bit last year, that in the past there were there were no guarantees about where you'd end up if you were going to just go, no, nah, I'm out, I want to... Because... Like Bryce Gibbs, as, as an example, yeah. two years ago, he said, I want to go to the Crows, mm. and the and there's deal a didn't get made. done. Yeah. Um, but it just feels more and more that clubs are going, well, we might as well get something when we can rather than leaving it too late. Or I heard someone on um, ESPN... Um, that's slightly different, but for players that are still signed but have only got sort of one year mm. left on their contract and are saying, I may not hang around, they're calling it pre-agency. Right. So it's before the free agency mm. kicks in, the clubs get something while you can if you know that the player's not hanging around. So 
I think Stephen May, the other um, Gold Coast captain, falls into this category as mm. well. Um, all the rumblings throughout the year, he was constantly questioned about where he's going to stay, where he's going to stay. He said, yes, I'm going to stay. It sounds like the club sort of put the hard word on him and said, look, you're the captain. Yes, you, you're contracted for next year, so of course you're going to stay, but what are you doing the season after? And he said, well, well, again, we're wildly speculating, but it sounds like he sort of intimated that he may not necessarily be that keen on hanging around. So I haven't heard anything about where he's going to go, mm. but I have heard that that... They want the world for him, but they're listening to, to offers um, while they're still around. So the other one from Sydney, while we're talking about them before, is uh, Gary Rowan has also sort of penned a letter to the club saying, yep. for family reasons, um, he wants to go back. Now, for those of you who don't remember, he had uh, his wife gave birth to twins. One ended up being stillborn. So for compassionate reasons, I kind of think that's, that's fair. And I think... Although Sydney have looked after him, he's had a wretched run with injuries. Mm. I also think that he's hung around long enough and repay them by constantly getting back and doing the rehab and, and getting back out in the park. That I think that sounds amicable, and I think both parties can walk away from that, going, well, we did what we could to get him out in the park, and Rowan can sort of say, look, I did what I could to... I gave you what I was capable mm. of, and... Um, I just I want to go home and and be closer to my family. Also, so. the thing with Sydney, they've probably got to the point where what they've got is n- no longer top shelf. And as much as we we all uh, wax lyrical about the 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 hard tough Sydney outfit, it's just not. I don't I don't think it's going to cut it anymore. So that they have to they have to try something different. Otherwise, you're always going to finish in that five to. Ten sort of area, yeah, the no man's land. Yeah, you know what they need? They need someone like Tom Mitchell in their midfield. Oh, <laughs> hang on, already had him go away. Thanks, buddy, for soaking up all of their money. <laughs> um, now the other interesting one, Chad Wingard. Mm. What What are you hearing? Well, in the space of about fifteen minutes, I heard that uh, the Herald Sun was reporting that. Uh, Wingard had told Port last week, yeah, I'm happy to stay and fulfil at least the year that's remaining in his contract. And yet his manager came out minutes later saying, no, no decision has been made either way. So whether he's trying to still hedge and, and get, get the best deal possible. This is one of those interesting ones. Mm. We sort of, I, I hit you up about this like, before we came mm. on air and I'm not entirely sure that you were in the know enough to no. to warrant it, but... This is interesting for me as to whether Chad has gone to the club and said, look, I'm happy to stay, Mm. but I'm also happy to go if you can get a good deal, whatever sort of suits you guys, I'm I'm happy, stay or go, whatever suits. Or whether the club has said, we're happy to keep you, but check out your opportunities elsewhere. And if you find one that that works for us, we'll do it as Mm. well. And I think I'd be interested to see who's instigated that that conversation, mm. but it seems to have come from nowhere and it just really picked up steam all of a sudden. And it, It's it got a real deja vu about it with the, the Hamish Hartlett situation where they have these exit meetings and I think they say, well, we need to improve. We, we value as a player, but we also concede that we need to get better so you could be a piece in the puzzle where we get some good things in exchange for you. He didn't necessarily have these best year, I don't think. No, no, but I think he still has 
a currency. I think <coughs> I think people will, that don't follow him closely probably remember you know twenty fourteen or fifteen or whatever. What, when he was kicking goals from everywhere, yeah, breaking crew's hearts. Yeah. Uh, so I would say Port have said, see what's out there, and if you're happy to look. So you think it's your balance of probabilities is more likely the club has said to him rather than him saying to the club? Yeah, uh, I I really, it's hard to know. Wildly speculate, Marcus. Yeah, well, we've pretty much um, based this whole segment on just hearsay, haven't we? But uh, yeah, I, I would say it would be the club saying we've got to get better. If you want to go, we know we can get a lot for you. And Koshy did sort of, oh, it's... Koshy's Koshy shoots his mouth off pretty pretty easily, but um, he did sort of intimate that changes needed to occur, and um, they didn't necessarily happen at the selection table. Like I thought that there are a couple of senior players that were probably lucky to get games towards the end of the season, um, and they they swapped the middle of the road to the lower tier players. They were the ones that were shuffling out, shuffling in, whereas I. It's not the statement that I think they they needed to make. So whether this is that statement, they go right. We'll see how the season goes, but lie in the sand. We're mm. we're making changes here because what we're doing is it's close, but it's not mm. it's not good enough. Um, Have you had to reprogram your brain about footy? Like I I find it so painful to hear about a, a favourite player from a, a club being thrown up in the air and said, you know. If it is to be, it is, rather than going, no, we, we love this guy. It's been the first six months of this year going, yeah. we cannot lose Rory Sloan. Mm. Like, how on earth could you let him? Like, the others I get, like, there's people that want to go home, there's people that want to do their own thing, I get that. But this doesn't sound like, this didn't, I'm like, this is Rory. This is mm. the guy that's the the heart and soul of your club. The, the blokes like these are the ones you don't want to let go. Mm. Um, so, like, I was... Basically preparing myself for the worst mm. all year, and then when he did resign, but, but that one was more of a. Wasn't that? Oh, no, I guess that was about just career development for him. And I kind of saw it almost the same as as danger, but you just you always got that thing in the back of your head going. How big is the go home factor? Mm. His wife is heavily involved in the media. Her opportunities in Adelaide are pretty limited. Mm. Um. If they went back to Melbourne, A, he's around family. B, she gets better um, job opportunities. It was it was almost a no-brainer for him to go. So for him to stay, I'm like, oh, that's so good. But, um, yeah, the other thing was what we would have got for, for him, which I think we could have. Now, before we sign off on the, the footy season, or for this segment anyway, we almost forgot about... The Crows... I didn't. I was saving him for last. Okay, so Mitch McGovern wants to go to Carlton. Yes, this week came out, or his manager came out and said Carlton is his team of choice, which is probably the worst-kept secret in the world. And pretty damning words from his manager saying if he was going for money, he would have gone to Fremantle the year before for an extra million bucks on a three-year deal or four-year deal or whatever. He's going to Carlton for equal money and, and prospects of, you know, he sees an upside of going to the Blues. Really? But anyway, apart from all that, I I have trouble working out the beyond first round picks, what a guy's worth. But tell us your thinking of how Carlton will be thinking and how the Crows will be thinking and whether this is another almighty spat between these two clubs. Well, I heard that it, it 
kind of is and that um, Adelaide are playing hardball and saying, oh, do you remember how we wanted Bryce Gibbs a couple of years ago and he said he wanted to come to Adelaide? Well, to you, um, you're not getting him for what you think. So if you looked at what you thought he would be worth, do you think he's worth a first-round draft pick? Yes. Do you? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. You look at Carlton's first-round draft pick, number two. Mm. That's a very high price for for Mitch McGovern. Mm. I, if I was Carlton, I want more. Mm. If the Crows threw in a third-round draft pick, which I think from memory is about 45 from mm. where we are, is 45 and McGovern worth two to Carlton? I think yes. I think Carlton will want more. I think they'll want a second-round draft pick, which in this case is about 25. I don't think the Crows will be willing to part with 25 and Mitch McGovern just to get two back. Um they may, they may just bite the bullet and go, look, we really want Lacocious or whoever it is that they want, Rankin. Um, this is the only way we're going to get him. Mm. Um, and they pay overs to get to pick two. But Do you think living in our Adelaide bubble that we, we rate him too much? I mean, I've heard that Melbourne clubs are going, oh, you're laughing if you, you think you're going to get something like a a pick in the top 10. like They just don't see it. Yeah. I, it's hard to tell. It's a bit like Jenkins when the talk was that Jenkins was going to go to, I think, Brisbane and, and be the key forward. I don't think that he's your key focal point up forward. But he's he's more consistent, but he reminds me a lot of Tippett. It's that X factor that he, he can win you a game. He may not necessarily be the most consistent bloke, but his clunks marks, the, the game against... Collingwood last year when he clunks the mark with like two seconds to go and mm. kicks a goal after the siren to draw the game. There's not too many blokes in the competition that can take that mark, and mm. he's one of them. That and he does it relatively regularly. So, um, if you put Mackay, McKay, whatever his name is from Carlton, it's a reasonably potent forward line, and um, uh, Kerno mm. three. Like he might fit into that world because he wouldn't necessarily be that the number one target um, for defenders, so he may be sort of let off the leash a bit. Whereas here he's kind of the fourth, maybe fifth forward, so he doesn't necessarily. While he's dangerous, they're not targeting the ball coming into him as often. So um, I, I don't know whether Melbourne see what happens outside of Melbourne very often. I, I kind of think sometimes they they don't, mm. but. Um, yeah, I don't. I would think that somewhere in between that second and third round mm. pick and two is where. They'll would land. there be any um, thought of uh, Carlton exchanging two for two sort of middles? I don't know, like two for ten and fifteen or something. Or I, I don't know how it would work, but you know. Well, what with us? No, like or somehow just with someone else going. Oh, we'll give you two. You give us two good ones, and, and well, we're in that position. Like we could potentially do that because we've got uh, I think we get eight or something like that mm. as our first round pick anyway we've got um, Melbourne's first pick which turned out to be not as good as mm. I would have liked it to be um, but I think there's another one floating around somewhere as well so um, whether we do that tra- so whether it's like McGovern and something under 20 for two or yeah mm. um, or whether we end up giving up 10 and 
something else and and they give us back 20 um so we give up a we give up McGovern a first round and a third round and they get a first round and a second round back mm. um that might um appease the the footballing gods who knows but the the talk that I heard was that the crows are going to play hardball with this one and and not yeah they've been burnt by a carton before and they're not just going to bend over and assume that they'll do what Carlton wants just because McGovern said that's where he wants to go. So I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, things will become a lot murkier. I mean, clearer. Who knows? Well, that sound means it's Chris's golf section. And Chris, you've got a glint in your eye I haven't seen since our single days back at New York Bar and Grill. (laughs) And that is because of the Ryder Cup, which was held in Paris. I don't want to steal your thunder, Chris, but I actually watched bits and pieces of it and the crowds were amazing amazing it's yeah it was awesome to watch 60,000 people in the first two days and when you consider that there's only four groups going around in those first two days like you get a morning session and an afternoon session so there's only eight groups going around for the entire day and there's only four at a time it's a lot of people in a small space what do you reckon that grandstand at the opening tee how many people was that holding that looked I would say a couple of thousand. It looked crazy big. Yeah. But that's, again, I don't humble brag here, but I went to the last Ryder Mm. Cup and it was exactly the same there. And the atmosphere of that is, I've been to footy, I've been to baseball, I went to a lot of things while I was in America. That's the best atmosphere I've ever experienced. It was just, I watched it and I almost had tears in my eyes last night going, I just want to be there. Mm. It's just so... Electric and it means so much to all of the yeah. players. Um, I was so- going to say before we get into the nitty gritty of what actually happened, to see the the players interacting and, and being so proud of each other for a point or just standing up when it counted and, and having pride in your team that is something you don't see in other golf tournaments, especially in a manufactured team like Europe. It's yeah. not like it's a country or anything like that, but but a real sort of camaraderie. Body, yeah, camaraderie and and the crowd is. There's just that real passion, like, as, as you said, you've been to footy games that had that sort of, like, we're riding on every shot and, we, and we're barracking and we're, and we're even booing sometimes. It's crazy. But it's not, it's not vindictive booing. No. Um, it, I don't even know how to describe it. They're, the crowds are very for their own people and they're very against the other people, mm. but it's not... Maybe there's a couple of exceptions. I think Rory gets... Rory McIlroy gets smashed by the crowd and Patrick Reed gets smashed by the crowd. But that's because they react to the crowd. Mm. Like They seem to take these things personally. And I don't think any of the things that are said are meant in a personal way. But um, we saw Rory, obviously someone heckled him saying he can't putt. He then goes and makes like a 15-footer and then turns around and says, who can't putt? Who can't putt? I can putt. Um, and we saw Patrick Reed, basically he shushed the crowd at Hazeltine like two years ago he went back to it again and he got booed every time he shushed the crowd and it was this time he stunk the first two days he was horrible so that's the time you don't agitate the crowd is when you're not actually performing but he did it and then I'm not a massive fan of his I, I don't like him at all actually but to his credit he won yesterday at the, and he won at a time where the basically the game was over and there wasn't a real lot to play for and at the after he won he shushed the crowd 
and then smiled and then clapped all the crowd as well. So it was it was done in jest, and the crowd took it as that way as well. So these guys do they they understand what what's going on. So. Um, but it is they play for sheep stations. This is mm. this is like nothing else you've ever seen. Particularly for individual sports people to then come into a team yeah. like a Davis Cup or something like that. It's I had a couple of people sort of ask me, "Is this like Davis Cup?" And I'm like, "It's got the same intensity as Davis Cup, but it's it's continents. Like it's a whole continent against one country." Mm. Um, so if you have a look. Um, of the top 20 players in the world, 18 of them were playing mm. in this. Um, so there's some the the best players are playing in this. Yeah, and I think as a TV spectacle, that is great. You you follow it, you get more involved in the rounds that they're involved in. You're not sort of off in the tournament. It's going from here to there to different players, and you just sort of but you really got into the journey of who's involved. Now, obviously, Europe got the job done. Yep. Tell us how it unfolded. So seventeen and a half points to ten and a half points was the was the final score. Um, it started off looking real shaky for the Europeans. The first session um, they were three one down and it didn't look particularly good. But Europe came back Friday afternoon and smashed the Americans four zip. Um, and then sort of Saturday was was relatively even. It ended up ten six going into the um, into the singles game. So basically the format is. Um, in the morning, you play a four ball. So you play two Americans, two Europeans. You each play your own ball. Whoever gets the lowest score individually, that's a, that's what the team gets. Um, and and then in the afternoons, they play foursomes, which is, again, two Americans, two Europeans, but you alternate shots. Mm. So you only play one ball, and if your spud drives it off the tee into the trees the next guy stuck with a shot from behind the tree. So, um, And that happened a lot. The The course in France was brutal. The fairways were fairly narrow, and if you there was a first cut which was about two metres <laughs> wide, and then it was you're in the cabbage after that. Mm. Like, good luck getting the ball out. So we saw guys, as an example, a pro would hit, if you're 150, 160 yards out, they're probably going to hit, a seven or an eight iron into the green. These guys were hitting hybrid, um, basically like a three wood type thing, just to try and get the ball clear of the rough. And so many times we saw guys trying to get out of the rough and hitting the ball like 10 meters and it's still lobbing in the rough because they couldn't actually get it out. So mm. the coverage we got in Australia was the um, Sky Sports, the European coverage. So it was very pro European. The talk is that the Americans weren't happy that. The course was relatively short. The holes weren't very long, and that the fairways were too skinny. The European commentator sort of countered that with, "Well, if you hit a bad shot, you should be punished. You shouldn't get rewarded if you hit the ball 350 yards, but you spray it the next fairway across. Why should you be able to hit the green as much as easily as the guy who hits it down the middle of the, his own fairway?" So, I didn't like the the wee 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 commentary all the way through it, but. Um, I think you would get the same with the American coverage, just in reverse. Mm. So, um, the I think the next event is in uh, Wisconsin, um, which is I thought was a bit weird because it's literally the next state over from from where Hazeltine was the last time. So they're keeping it up north. Um, if it's this time of the year, it'll be relatively cool. Um, you're coming towards the end of summer, um, but their winters kick in pretty pretty soon. So. Um, 
I would think that the talk is that the course is going to be long and wide and expansive. So expect guys just basically hit driver regardless of, of how long the hole is. Uh, and I know you were pretty excited how it all wrapped up. Uh, oh, yeah. So basically we're going into the singles. I By the time the F1s had finished and I flicked over to watch the golf properly, um, it was looking pretty dicey for the Europeans. They were, they were down in a lot of games and it looked like it was going to get pretty close. Um, but a couple of the Europeans steadied and then towards the end it was just um, a stampede towards the end. The unusual thing about this is if you win the competition, so you need to get to 14 and America need to get to 14 points because if they drew, if they drew, they kept the cup. Europe needed to win it. So they needed to get to 14 and a half points. They got to 14 and a half points and there were still like three or four um, groups left out and you have to keep playing. You can't pull the pin. So players had to keep playing. And then it was only probably 10 minutes and then all the games bar one had finished. And unfortunately, the last group out in the course was probably the tightest group for the entire day. And it came down to the last hole. With the Europeans winning, um, both players are driven down the fairway. And Bryson DeChambeau, one of my favorite players with his little flat cap, um, he knocked the ball to within... If it was a foot, I'd be stunned. It was so close to going in. And Alex Noren just knocked it on the green. He was probably 20, 25 metres away. He conceded the putt to DeChambeau. So he all he's got to do, if he... Two putts, it's not the end of the world. The game's all square and, and they get a half point each. Drills like this 25-metre putt straight in the heart of the, the cup. And by that stage, obviously, both teams were all around the green and everyone was there. They went completely bananas, the Europeans. It was such an amazing putt to end it on, and it was probably fitting that, that Europe managed to win that last game just to rub a bit of salt into the wounds for the Americans. So It was a fantastic showcase of golf, but was Tiger Woods the, the letdown, the disappointment of it all, do you think? Um, oh, yes and no. I mean, he's played seven tournaments in nine weeks, mm. and he looked, like Friday and Saturday, yeah. he looked... Like he'd aged twenty years <laughs> since last week when he won the tour championship, but it just looked like the travel and and the quick turnaround had sort of started to take its toll. Now he ended up wearing in the last couple of rounds his back. He denied that his back was sore, but he was playing in wet weather gear, mm. so he had a pair of wet weather pants over the top of normal pants in an attempt to keep his back warm. Mm. So. Um, Particularly on the Friday, he was struggling to bend over to pick the ball out of the cup. Like he looked really bad, but and his his match play form in general hasn't been great. His Ryder Cup singles form is is pretty good. His Ryder Cup pairs form is is not great. And him and Chad Reed, uh, Chad Reed, Chad Reed's the motocross guy. Patrick Reed, um, they played in the Friday doubles, and they were just horrendous. They were horrible. So. Um, yeah, he got the job done. Uh, no, Ram um, knocked him off in the singles yesterday. For his, I think that was his first singles loss in Ryder Cup history. But he lost, I think, four, three or four of his games. So now, there were a few Americans that were down um, that didn't necessarily play some of their best their best stuff. And if you look at the rookies that, or the captain's picks that the Europeans had, they all paid off. Um, Sergio Garcia. Uh, had a couple of really good results. 
ended up winning um, his win in the singles made him the most successful player in Ryder Cup history. He's now uh, knocked off uh, Sir Nick Faldo, um to be the to win the most points. Um, you look at Paul Casey. Paul Casey, um, I think he won three or four points for the weekend. He was really good. Um, Ian Poulter. He is Mr. Ryder Cup. It's just he plays spud golf through the entire year. They pick him the Ryder Cup and he just he just gets like in the zone and you look at his face, every putt he makes and he'd have a sore chest because he was pumping his chest so much over the last <laughs> few days that uh, he must be sore and he was phenomenal. But Francesco Molinari, the guy that won the British Open this year, won all five points or all five games that he was in, he won and he was him and Tommy Fleetwood in the in the pairs. They played together all four games, and they were calling them Mollywood. Um, and <laughs> they both played just amazing golf Friday, Saturday. Unfortunately for Tommy, um, had a bit of a, a bit of a stinker. If I was to put any amount of money that meant anything to me on one of the singles games, I would put my money on him beating Tony for now. And Tony Fennell came out and smashed him six and four. So Tony Fennell, for those of you who uh, remember, was the man who hit the hole-in-one um, at the Masters and then as he was running down the hill backwards, uh, dislocated his ankle and uh, looked like a bit of a deal. So, um, But no, he, he hit back because he had not... Tony Fennell, before that, the only thing he did was manage to hit a, uh, a tee shot to within about oh, maybe a metre of the hole, all very well and good, you might say. The pros do that all the time. This had a degree of difficulty because he managed to hit it off a sleeper resting up against the water. So uh, other than that, he was he was not flash. But no, he, he brought the brought the goods on, on Sunday when, when they needed it. So um, all in all, I think the Americans would not be happy with the way they played. Um, I think the captain's picks, none of them really paid off that well. Um, it's back to the drawing board. I think Jim Furyk will... Uh, it sounded like the knives are out for him already um, with some of his selections, but time will tell. So Europeans, I think it's 25 years since the Yanks have knocked off the Europeans in Europe. Um, so we'll see in a couple of years' time whether uh, the Europeans can get the job done again. Well done, Europe. Okay, let's turn our focus to cricket. And Australia is in the United Arab Emirates ahead of their test series against Pakistan. Tour match underway at the time of recording. Australia well on top against Pakistan, eh? Yeah, two for four million or something. Two for 200-odd, chasing 287. Um, Nathan Lyon taking eight wickets, Mm. um, which is... uh, I don't know if that's good or a bad (laughs) thing. I kind of think it's a good thing, but I think that shows that... We should probably have Maxwell in there and play Head and play Holland and play Agar <laughs> yes. and just scrap the fast bowling yep. unit. Um, Stark took one wicket. I think the rest of them were um, all pretty ineffective against... Uh, it sounded like it's a pretty flat track. So um, the concerning news for Australia is the potential opener, Matt Renshaw, um, fielding it bat pad. Um, full-blooded shot. Full-blooded pull shot straight into his helmet. Good news for the team. Bounced straight up to Payne, who took the catch. Bad news for him. He's got potential concussion symptoms. He has had a couple of concussion incidences in the past, mm. so they were quite um, 
they're a bit risk averse with him particularly. Uh, they took him off. Uh, they have an arrangement with um, the Pakistan A-side that he's been subbed out of the game and they're going to put someone else in for him so he doesn't have to... He'll take no further part in the game. I did see reports after the day's play saying he's got a headache, but they don't think he has concussion. Mm. It was more sort of precautionary measure than, than anything else. So that's... On that front, that's good news. The bad news is that's it's a week out from the test mm. and whether they're prepared to take the... The risk, if he doesn't open, I don't know what's going to happen to the the batting lineup. We spoke sort of last week about we don't know what's going to happen to the batting lineup anyway. Um, but does Kawaja get shuffled up to to open um, with Finch? I heard that this week someone saying that Finch might bat at six. Um, I, who knows? But. I mean, look, we're, as I said, we're two for 200, and it looked like everyone was basically... Like, both openers had made 50, and the next two had made 50 as well. Mm. So it was a pretty even sort of um, batting display all around. And I heard Finch sort of interviewed, and he said, look, the 50 was a bit of a grind. Um, it's a bit hard. We're used to quicker things where you sort of... Ha- you can just hit through the line of the ball. This, you kind of have to wait for the ball, and you have to manoeuvre the ball. It takes a bit more... Um, concentration and effort from the batsman's behalf to to actually nudge the ball around to to get the runs. So um, from that sort of side of things, that's not necessarily his strong point. I would have thought. So for him to actually eke out a fifty, mm. I think is is possibly a good sign. And for him to recognise that, I think is also um, good. But I'd rather have a twenty three year old say that than a thirty three year old. Hey, last week we were talking about the vice captain role. Well, what do you think? They of- rolled the dice. They did. Mitch Marsh and Josh. I knew I would say that. Josh <laughs> Hazelwood, joint vice captains. Good. Yes, what we need more dumb fast bowlers <laughs> making decisions. Great. <laughs> I, I I kind of see their thinking around Mitch Marsh. Looking at his CV, it sounds like he's done a lot of leadership roles. He captains WA, so he just been, has no brains. He's he's been pushing towards that sort of leadership yeah, yeah. role. Oh, that that one, I I kind of think was a no brainer. It mm. was. He was probably the only one in the team that was had a cemented spot mm. in the lineup that's got the leadership experience. Mm. So we sort of talked last week about whether Travis Head might mm. might do it, but or Finch. But you go these guys that aren't they know they're not even in the team. No. Like you don't even know if they're going to be in the team. So um, yeah, Hazelwood. I think they just sort of went well. Who else is left? Yes. Yeah. Um, I so, think it's a bit of an overkill for both of them. But there you go. Who knows whether they realise that Tim Payne is actually Yoda and is 900 years old and <laughs> doesn't have that long left. Um, but it'd be nice to see Hazelwood, I don't know, out in the park maybe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well done to them. Yeah. We've got some more cricket news. Yeah, back in Australia, the JLT Cup's on. Great to see it on um, TV and, and getting a real exposure to some of the players. So let's start with the highlights. Hang on, let's just talk about the crowds. Like I think both <laughs> people in the crowd so far have enjoyed all the games that I've seen. There's been yeah, not a great deal of people there. I know. Do you enjoy watching just tuning in and out to it though? Or? Uh, I'll admit I've watched a couple of. I mean, I've I've watched a Redbacks ga- mm. a couple of Redbacks games, but not all of them. I, I mean, I don't mind it. The commentary is still a bit amateur hourish mm. for me. It's still I don't know reeks of a bit of. Channel 10, let's put it on while no one's sort of watching. There are some pretty average commentators. They're not putting the A-team out. No. Warney's not getting a gig in the JLT. Mm. Um, I did 
I didn't mind listening to Andrew Simons the other night. Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't have that professionalism that, that Channel 9 did have. But at the same time, they're actually showing these games where they've mm. not been shown before. So yep. bad commentary is better than no coverage at all. Oh, sorry. Bad bad commentary is harsh. It's just yeah. ordinary. Now, one game I didn't get to see at all, but I wish I had, was uh, WA against Queensland. Darcy Short... Blast 257 off 148 balls. Six is a plenty. Now, I think this was at Hurstville Oval. Is yep. That, yeah. So, I saw... A, I said yes. I, I said yes, and I didn't actually know. Uh, let's see. Yep. So, I saw the Redbacks play there, and you can see in the vision the boundary not far behind the bowler running in. So, it's it's an oval where <laughs> I think shot. you or I may be able to get a boundary on. <laughs> it's that, that sort of size. I wonder where you're going there. I'm like, you reckon we're going to make 100? No. no. No, but basically it's it's a small ground, but still to hit a record, 23 sixes in an innings is, is crazy. Is that all? Mm. Come on, Darcy. Yeah. I, mean, I, I believe it's the um, highest domestic uh, one-day um, total, mm-hmm. um, and he took over from... Ben Doug? No. Yep, correct. Yep. Um, playing for Queensland. He made 230-odd, which I wouldn't have thought that he would have had enough balls to to make that many runs. But mm. Darcy Short is, as we saw over the, um, for those of you sort of go, hang on, WA, he plays for Hobart Hurricanes mm. in the in the uh, Big Bash and had some, some pretty decent innings uh, last summer. We saw him get picked for Australia in the, the T20 comp so mm. um maybe this is a sign of the the future for for him i would sort of like all these guys i'd like to see a couple of them knuckle down and make some shield scores but um 257 mm. that's uh that's good hitting now the jlt cup great to see it back on tv great to see all the the local players getting a bit of exposure but i think their final system needs some Tweaking. I was just about to say, have have the Redbacks made the semis? Are we in the finals? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. After an opening game win, we yes. had three losses in a row, then a narrow win over Victoria, and that's enough. We're into the the finals. Well, so you could lose five games in a row and still make the final. Everyone gets. It's like primary school. Everyone yeah. gets a. Everyone gets a, an award. So as far as I can see, three v six, two v four in the next two in the, this week. Yep. And then the winners of those play one and two yep. for a place in the final. Yep. So over overkill, too many games, uh, and it just and it just uh, dulled the urgency of the round what, robin matches. Well, what's the point of them? Like, mm. It just doesn't make any sense. And I sort of get a bit agitated. They go, all right, where are we going to play these games? Let's play them at the Wacker, North Sydney Oval, Junction Oval, and where's that Hertzville? Mm. Like you go. Where's our games? Mm. Why aren't we getting any games? Like, mm. We can get 20 people to the game just as well as any <laughs> yeah. other state can. Like, Why not play one game away, mm. one game home? Like, It's not... Like, last year they had it... I think the last couple of years they've had it all at North Sydney Oval. Mm. Just put it in one place. And I understand that the logistics are probably not that great. But, but if you're going to go to Perth for half the tournament, then to Sydney and Melbourne, you might as well yeah. just... It's like a Tassie and an Adelaide trip on the on the way through. Like, mm. I'm not expecting to get. I'm not going to be dark if we play two home games and three away games, but mm. at least give us one home game. Mm. So, from what I can recall, I don't reckon the Redbacks have played a home game no. in five years. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Um. So no, good. Good for Sydney. Good for Melbourne. Get your get your crowd support going everywhere else in Australia. Yeah, I don't know if this final system reflects that 
there's not enough care about this tournament. Like, if the Redbacks finish fifth, uh, they might finish fifth. I, I don't know. But if they go on and knock off one of the top two teams, is that fair? Will the top two teams feel aggrieved, or will, will they care? Does no. anyone care? Hmm. I mean, I get agitated that this is. This is why we're not very good at one-day competitions because we do this half-baked system at the start of the year when no one's got any form at all. Mm. And then all of a sudden, six months later, we're picking a one-day squad in the middle of a test series mm. and wondering why everyone's hopelessly out of form and not making runs. Because they haven't played a one-day game in six months. Like, give them a hit. When they start taking this stuff seriously is when I'll start taking it seriously. And I don't think they do... I don't think they do anything right at the moment. Like I think the Shield needs a whole bunch of attention. I think this gets played at the wrong time of the year. And I think they put all the eggs in the big bash basket. And then there's no T20 games that are of any consequence. Play the T20 now. Get everyone interested in cricket. Then lead into the the other competitions. So um, the World Cup... The one-day World Cup is worth a whole lot more than the T20 World Cup is worth. So why not Why not get on the back of the AFL finals and go, right, now we've got two weeks of basically uninterrupted airtime. Your only competition is the A-League. I don't even know if that starts yet. They've still got FFA Cup stuff that they're running with. But there's not a real lot of competition going on for the next couple of weeks. So... Get in now and put the stuff that people want to see now and maximise the number of people that are watching it. And then play your JLT in the middle of summer when everyone's already got cricket on the brain anyway. And it leads into more important competitions for what we're dealing with. So, But who am I? What do I know? You know plenty, Chris. Well, I do, but people need to know that I know plenty and they don't. (laughs) Well, let's finish on a positive note. Australia, the women's cricket side, had another victory in the T20s against New Zealand. So well done to the Aussies. Well, that was good because it was looking a bit dicey early. Mm. They uh, lost an early wicket and they weren't chasing a great at 140-odd. So, Mm. um, yeah, good on them. Well done. All right, that sound means one thing and one thing only. It's Marcus's whip around. Now, I believe this whip around is so big, we're going to split it into two sections. That's right. It's the super... Whip around, Chris. All right, what have you got first? Well, it was grand final weekend across all codes. The NRL grand final was played on Sunday Sunday night, and it was Sydney Roosters over the Melbourne Storm. Throughout the week, if you're not an Eastern States person or a big NRL fan, all you heard about was Cooper Cronk's injury, would he play, and Billy Slater, would it be a fairy tale finish? And would Billy Slater actually be even allowed to play? Yes, he was on report for a shoulder charge. Now, as it turned out, he was allowed to play, and no, it wasn't the fairy tale ending. No. And Cooper Cronk did play, and what turned out to be a fractured shoulder. Mm. Yowie. The old scapula. Yes, I hate it when I break my scapula. <laughs> um, and then it turns out that uh, Roosters um, winger Blake Ferguson also fractured his leg with 30 minutes to go and played <laughs> out the game. That is mental. These dudes oh. are seriously strong or serious meatheads. Yeah. It could so, go either way. So uh, Melbourne Storm going for, for back-to-back, couldn't couldn't pull it off. First time since the uh, unification um, that uh, someone was potentially going to win back-to-back. No one's done it since Brisbane in, I think it was 95, um, but not to be. So 
Melbourne Storm at three grand finals in a row, and they've only got one win to show for it. They're not the most popular team. Um, yeah, the salary cap and their just general dominance makes them pretty much hated. But then Sydney Roosters are they're probably one of the most hated sides in Sydney. I think everyone loves to them along with Manly are the two most hated sides. So uh, there's a lot of people that I don't think would have really cared who who won that and would like to see them beat the living pulp out of each other. So, um, but it was Roosters from the start. They mm. had three tries in the first half and it was game over. I saw a few of the post-match interviews. Everyone seemed pretty calm. Maybe I tuned in too late and everyone had sort of calmed down or was there a real sort of vibe about... Um, well, I guess with the, the margin, yeah, the, the result was over half time. Yeah, yeah. Um, we saw Munster from Melbourne get Sinbin twice. You don't often see that. Um, the second one for kicking a guy in the head while he's lying on the ground. Now, the judiciary's come back and said that that is only a grade one misdemeanor and he will get fined, no missing games, and he's free to play against... Tonga, I think, is a there's a test coming up uh, in the near future. So, uh, good news for him for kicking someone in the head. He's managed to get away with it. So, just that's one of the things that I don't like about the NRL. You get that. You get a guy last week who did a spear tackle and basically dropped a guy on his head. Mm. At their their fines and a guy running side to side, hip and shoulder him over the fence. Mm. That took some seriously smart QCs. Basically, um, finding a loophole in the wording of what a shoulder charge was to get him off. Otherwise, he was going to miss a game for something that you would see 150 times in an AFL game. Probably most of them before the balls even bounce. So, mm. um, yeah, I think there's going to be some some rule changes over the the off season um, that. Uh, I don't know. I always find that there's a lot of outrage in the NRL. There's a lot of negativity. The coaches always come in the press conferences and bag the umpires, and everyone bags the rulings. And yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think the same thing happens in AFL. Like I think there's stuff that kind of gets canned from time to time. But um, yeah, the NRL seems to have a real negativity around it, which they could probably. If they want to sort of increase the numbers, then um, they might want to look at how they do that. So what else have we got? The Russian Grand Prix was on over the weekend, a 1-2 yes. for Mercedes. Yes. Generally, when you get that sort of result, everyone's happy. Happy, happy days. But Lewis Hamilton said it wasn't the most rewarding or satisfying victory in his career. Tell us why. Because he didn't deserve to <laughs> win it. Uh, so Valtteri Bottas, his uh, teammate, got a good record at um, Sochi. For some reason, he just seems to like that mm. track. Dominated pretty much every session, qualified first, led the Grand Prix, was sort of 20 laps in, looking like he was well and truly in control. And then the dreaded team orders came mm. in and they told him to sort of pull over for, for Hamilton. Now, the interesting thing about this was they said that uh, Lewis's tyres were starting to blister. Vettel was right up his clacker, and they wanted to protect um, Lewis Hamilton from Vettel. Very reasonable. Um, then Vautry can sort of... He can hang back, not necessarily drive as fast as he wants, give Lewis a bit of a break at the front. Cool. A couple of laps to go. Vautry gets on the radio. So uh, about this changing... Are yeah. we changing back again? And they're like, no, we're going to keep it as it is. We'll discuss it when you get back. Now, that's normally a sign that 
A, we know you're agitated. B, we know you're that agitated that you're likely to say something that you're going to regret. So mm. don't say anything you're going to regret. And then poor Paul DeResta had to had to do the post-race interview. So this is right as the guys are getting out the car. And Bottas is not the most animated person at the best of times, but he looked like he was choosing his words very carefully for fear of losing his job or saying something that he may regret later on. And to Hamilton's credit, even he sort of said, look, this sucks. It's, mm. We're in a championship. He's not in the championship running. I am. This helps me. Um, now, as it turns out, that gives him a 50-point lead in the championship, which basically means that he can not finish two whole races and Vettel has to win both of those races just to be equal with him. And there's only uh, five, maybe six races to go. So um, the championship... Uh, for Hamilton to lose it from here would mm. take something pretty catastrophic. Now, I thought I heard that Mercedes uh, trialed some upgrades to their cars, but didn't even use it in this race. So plenty of improvement. Oh, they've got so much. Mm. Um, they've been working on some things. Like Earlier in the season, Ferrari looked quicker than them. Um, but Mercedes have shown throughout the course of the season that they they seem tactically better. They may not necessarily have the fastest car, but they they do things to get the job done. Ferrari, when they had the fastest car, made some pretty basic errors with when they pit, pit stopped and all that sort of stuff. And it, it's cost them a couple of points, cost them a couple of wins. And now Mercedes look to have that, that advantage again in the car and Ferrari have no answer. So Vettel did get past... Um, they did do a tactical um, pit stop that, that saw them get in front mm. of Hamilton. Um, but as soon as Hamilton pitted, Vettel made a mistake driving and, and Hamilton was able to shoot past him. So um, it's those little mistakes that are just they're making the difference between winning a championship and not. So, um, so as it turned out, Vettel finished third and it was just that extra sort of twist of the knife. But he seemed, he seemed happy at the end of the race that that there may be some discontent within Mercedes because he was smiling more than you would expect from a third position person who basically just lost the championship. So I think he might be banking on a bit of angst in the team. Aussie Daniel Ricciardo sixth, Max, which was Max Verstappen fifth. Now I believe there was a bit of wench wow. or a bit of uh, uh, well, they, they sledges t- during that as well. Well, they they took some um, engine penalties um, at the. Which we knew about. So they started in 18th and 19th. Mm. Ricardo was in 18th. Verstappen's in 19th. And it was Verstappen's 21st birthday, just FYI. I was genuinely fearful that Verstappen was going to wipe out half the field in the first corner by going just kamikaze. Um, He went nuts. And it was good nuts this time. So within seven laps, he was up to sixth place. So he'd picked up 13 spots in six laps, which in... F1, mm. you can pick up sort of four or five in the first lap when chaos sort of happens, but generally you don't pick him up after that. He was just picking cars off like every time they got in a straight, and the car looked genuinely quick. Um, now, for Ricardo, he sort of got stuck behind a, um, a prang, and there was a bit that shot off someone's car and got stuck in his front wing, and it, you didn't know that until they he took a pit stop and actually had to change his front wing. So um, he he got himself up into six, but was, I think, finished 40-odd seconds behind Verstappen. So was never really in it. Um, but, I mean, realistically, 
if you look at the way the cars were performing, they may have been a chance for a podium if they didn't take the engine penalties. But um, fifth and sixth is where they are. That's mm. just their their spot. And yeah. but yeah, Max is a bit happy that he got in front of Daniel. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'd yeah, it's his birthday. Hmm. We'll let him let him get a bit chirpy on his birthday. Are still talking motorsport and battle of the sexes. We've debated uh, off air a few times about you know women's cricket, men's cricket, and, and other sports where I'm uh, pro women and you're anti women. Just hey, not at all, not at all. <laughs> but in uh, world superbikes, Anna Carrasco, first female rider to win a motorbike world championship, winning the title by a single point over countryman Mika Perez. Yes, so, good on her. That's um. That went down to the wire, obviously, mm. being only being a point in it. But, um, yeah, to be honest, I'm not a massive motors, motorbikes mm. fan. Um, if I was going to say anything, I'd probably follow the Superbikes before I followed the um, the actual GPs. But, um, yeah, so I, I just I came across this today and I thought, mm. that's a good story. I'm going to put that yeah. to... And, I mean, today, to in today's day and age, there should be no surprise whatsoever. This should... I guess it's breaking... Uh, a record or history, but we shouldn't be surprised that uh, a woman could get on a, a powerful bike and, and beat a guy on the same sort of similar Yeah, there's the, the levels of endurance. Like There are levels of endurance. I don't mm. want to downplay that, but yeah. there's not the... Um, you don't need... There's not the greater difference between a, a man and a woman. I wouldn't imagine riding a bike. As experienced as I am at, at motorbikes, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think both of us would... would uh, excrete a little if we went any more than about 10 k's an hour on a bike but that no good news for her and uh, well done Anna getting the job done like we said before this segment is so big we needed two sound effects in it well at least the same sound effect twice so <laughs> this one is going to be an all Australian affair what have you got to start with yeah mixed results for Aussies uh, we're pretty harsh you and I on Aussie tennis players, but finally someone's delivered, and that's Bernard Tomic. Flog Tomic. Yes, defeated Fabio Fognini, Fognini in the Shangdao <laughs> Correct. Open. And it's his first ATP event since 2015. I heard some of the press before this final, and he sounded like he was felt like he'd won before he'd reached the final. Like To make the final was a big victory. I was a bit... Thinking, oh, well, that might <laughs> that mindset. get mode here. But he actually um, saved four match points, and it sounds like through the whole tournament he was digging deep to, to win to win his matches. So, Well, you don't win seven matches in a row yeah. without having a bit of mental strength, but um, string it together two weeks in a row. Let's, let's see how you go there. Yeah, that's right. He went from, I think, mid-250s ranking in May, and now he's down to 76, and he is already... Atomic style going, well, if I perform well in the next couple Imagine of weeks, I'll be down to 50. Imagine but, what happens if I train and get a coach and yeah. actually extract the digit. But we should when someone does something good, well done to him. He's, yeah. he's done well. Yep, well done. Well done, Bernie. Over the fog. What else have you got? Uh, the FIBA World Cup, women's basketball. The Opals were taking all before them. Liz Cambage was dominating... Double doubles, triple triples, triple triples. <laughs> she scored a hundred points, a hundred rebounds, and a hundred assists. No, no, but Good on her. No, nah, she was averaging some twenty odd points yeah. per game. And I've watched a few of these games. They looked 
sharp, mm. and it sounds like they weren't sharp in the final. Yeah, they played the US. It was eight points at half time, so there was a real feeling like, yeah, we're still in this, but I think it was 21 to 8, or it was a real lopsided third quarter that cost them. The, game the US went on to win, and uh, no surprises there, really, but. Uh, U.S. had a few senior players, experienced players that didn't make themselves available. So there was a sense that the U.S. were vulnerable but couldn't get the job done. I think it's 17 in a row we, we've lost against the USA. And Cambridge couldn't – I think she only got single-digit points. Yep, nine, nine points. Nine points. So If she if she ran her brain as much as she ran her mouth, <laughs> she would be amazing. So I watched the semi-final against Spain where they were – um, they were in a lot of trouble in that game, the Opals. They were uh, a couple of points down with sort of four minutes to go. But they managed to get the two girls that were um, guarding um, Gambage fouled out. Mm. So she was basically standing on me, a midget. And when you're doing that, you go and stand basically, you plonk yourself under the ring and just go, just throw the ball high. Mm. I can jump higher than anyone out here. I'll get the job done. She's standing there trying to set screens on the three-point line, and I'm losing my mind. And this is, mind you, this is at like 5 o'clock the next day, so I'm watching a replay. Then my phone beeps, and I've got, oh, um, something's gone off on Twitter. Oh, Marcus has tweeted. Tweeted the results of the Ovals oh, game. And sorry. I'm like, oh, I was watching that. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I just think that, I don't know. I know she's got into a lot of spats with uh, Andrew Bogut, in particularly on social media. I just think that sometimes she makes some boneheaded decisions, and some of them are on the court, some of them are off the court. But for someone of her size and her skill level, she should absolutely dominate most games of basketball, and to only score nine points in a final when your team needs you is probably not getting the job done. So... Mm. Look, if you if you're playing against Chinese Taipei and the tallest person's three foot mm. four, you should be getting twenty point margins. But yep. you need to get the job done against the big boys, mm. and didn't happen this time. Yeah, I mean she's a great player, but as as you've said, it sounds like there's plenty of plenty of room for improvement, which is pretty scary. That that the improvement coming in game awareness and and focus and things like that. But that could make her just an absolute superstar if she's not already And there. some of the shot selections during the whole campaign were pretty dicey from the Opals. They um, they played they played okay, but they were smacking minnows, mm. um, which you would expect that they would do. Um, but yeah, Sandy Brondello um, might have some work to do as the coach, just... Drawing up some new plays, I think, because the ones that they they ran for most of the tournament, I don't think are going to cut it against decent opposition. Yeah, I'll take silver anyway. Well, they all look pretty happy with silver, so um, good on them. Um, that's probably where they are in the world, realistically. Yeah. What else have we got? Now let's finish with uh, cycling. And Rowan Dennis uh, claims the Road World Championship tri- time trial gold. Rowan Dennis's grandfather rings our newsroom constantly. Uh, he's very proud of what his son has achieved, grandson? and o- over the grandson, sorry, and over, um, I guess, in the early stages of his career, we were like, oh, whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thanks, old man. Yeah, but now he, his results are just keep stacking up and stacking up, and once again, a, a great performance by the South Aussie. And he's now got um, time trial wins in the World Championship 
and Tour de France, the Giro, and he won a couple of stages of the Vuelta. Uh, to, like he won the two time trial stages in the Vuelta this year. So um, getting the job done on the big stage. The other one was uh, Amanda Spratt, I think it was, um, who finished uh, second in the women's uh, road race. Um I watched a bit of this on the the highlights, and mm. um, she she had no nothing left when the uh, the Norwegian Vanderbregen took off with forty k's to go. But um, a good result for for young Spratty. Uh, she had a good season. She set herself basically at the start of the year. There's a group of races at the start of the year, and then she set herself for those, and then she set herself for this. So to get silver. Um, good result. Probably not the second best uh, cyclist in the comp. So mm. um, for her to win that silver was uh, um, good planning and a good result. Um, now for the other um, events, there the only other thing for Australian point of view, the um, the team road race, uh, Australian team Mitchelton Scott they finished fifth, um, sort of a minute behind uh, Quick Step. We won that. Um, the only other one that BMC um, were third. Team Sky were fourth, so um, that's not a that's a pretty good result, and I think that um, should sew up some uh, competitions in like the the major tours uh, for the next season. They're always one of the teams that sort of everyone goes, why are these guys getting a gig in the Tour de France when there's fifteen other French teams that are rubbish? But they're, they're actually a, a pretty decent team, made up mostly of Australian riders. There are a couple of um, uh, Russians, and there's even a Pom in there, which irks me a little bit but uh, um, but yeah one more one more story oh, this one you did Foxy Foxy Lady mm. so a day after breaking a record set by her father Jessica Fox has surpassed her mother to become the most successful female canoe slalom paddler in history I had to say it slowly because I'm <laughs> slurring my words so tell us a bit about that event. Do you know much about that one? That's the one where they basically ride down the rapids mm. and they've got to go through the gates. And some of the gates they have to go through backwards. So then you've got to stop, turn mm. around, and then paddle back upstream through there. And it's kind of a cross between paddling and the Matrix getting under yeah. and through some of these gates. It's um, They've got to be pretty limber. Um, and Jessica Fox, she's, she won the World Championship this year. She had some pretty good results, sort of tapered off towards the end of the season, which I just sort of didn't think bode too well for um, for the World Championships. But um, uh, no, she won it. So good on her and probably doesn't get the recognition she deserves. She's been probably one of the best sporting, one of the most consistent mm. sporting achievers over the last, I'd say, three or four years. And it's just a shame it's in an event that no one really knows anything about. So um, good on Jess. Well done. Congratulations. Well, Chris, another podcast run and done. We started with wild speculation in the AFL, but we've finished strongly with some cold, hard results and some good ones for the Aussies. It's been a bumper weekend, and I won't lie, I'm looking forward to going to bed tonight and (laughs) catching up. 30 hours of golf watching in three days is too much for my eyeballs to take so um, thanks listeners again it's been a bumper week but we wanted to put this bit extra in for the, for the mishap we had a couple of weeks ago so we hope you enjoyed this week's episode and we'll see you next week 